grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. Uh, we were going to do something else, but, but I really want to uh, um, look at this. This is be mo- mostly what we'll talk about th- this evening will be familiar territory uh, to us. But it's always good to be reminded of some of the basics uh, when it comes to the Bible, to our faith, and whatnot. John chapter 1, um, we'll read uh, the first we'll read the first 10 verses. So I tell you, let's read the first 14 verses. So with that, stand with me, reverence to God's Word. And of course, if you're wanting to know where to start in reading the Bible, I recommend the Gospel of John. He writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and to his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've beha- we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's go, to the Lord, in prayer. Our Father, help us as we look at this Word, um, which should be familiar to us, and the content we'll look at will be familiar to us, no doubt. Uh, but may we always look at it with fresh eyes and remember who we are in Christ, what He has done on our behalf. In the name of your glorious Son, we pray. Amen. May be seated. Um, Arguably, the hardest part of telling a story, particularly publishing a story, is trying to figure out where to begin. If you're writing a biography, knowing where does that person's story truly begin is a real mystery. Is it their birth? Is it their parents' birth? Is it, is it their great-grandparents, you know, whenever they move to whatever area? It's, it's, it's a matter of, of, of real uh, uh, debate for, for biographers. And that is true even within the Gospels. There are four Gospels in the New Testament. And all of them tell the story of Jesus. They are not strict biographies in the way we think of them in the modern sense. But nevertheless, they do tell the story of Jesus, climaxing with his death and resurrection. All four of the Gospels begin somewhere differently. Matthew begins with a genealogy and then the birth of Jesus. Mark begins right with the ministry of Jesus. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Boom, here, here he is. This is what he did. Luke begins... Uh, with a preface about how he went about researching the material and whatnot, and then uh, begins with the nativity with a different emphasis. John goes all the way back to creation. He goes way back because he rightly understands if you're going to tell the full story of Jesus, you can't begin in a manger. There's nothing wrong with that. You really have to begin with creation, at least at, at creation. After all, his first three words of John's gospel mirrors the first three words of the first book of the Bible in the beginning. Moses writes in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning was God who created the heavens of the earth. John writes, in the beginning was the Word. 
um, who created the heavens and the earth. What I want us to do here is is to demonstrate um, who is Jesus in a nutshell. Who is he? And who is he from John's perspective? Four, four words I want us to see this evening. Again, this, this is all review, no doubt, for, for, for us. Four words, they all start with L to help us remember. The first thing John wants us to see is, and I'm going to use a Greek word here, is that Jesus is the divine logos. Now, if you're reading John 1, that is not a sentence that makes any sense to the English reader. In the beginning was the word. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean to be in the beginning is a word? <laughs> that makes no sense. Well, the problem there is when we're translating from Greek to English, uh, we don't really know what to do with that. In fact, I think actually transliterating it with logos would be best. The Greek word is logos, and it does mean word, but it means more than that. It is the, it is the root of our English word logic. Uh, it speaks of reason. And in both Greek and Jewish thought at this time, it spoke of a divine being. The Greeks believed in a multiplicity of gods, the god of thunder, god of lightning, all this sort of stuff. But even beyond that, what the philosophers had argued was there was one above the gods, a logos is what they called him. The Jews, too, had this concept of the divine word. After all, it was with the word of God that he spoke creation into existence. In Narnia, Aslan sings creation into existence, clearly inspired by uh, the biblical text. Often whenever Jesus performs the miracles, he does so with a word. Rightly so, because it reminds us of who Jesus is. So with that in mind, read it again. In the beginning was the Logos, and this Logos is with God, thus separate from. He is God, thus one with. Both are true right there in the, in the first verse. He was in the beginning with God. The Logos, again, separation. All things were made through the Logos. Without him, not anything that was made was made. And this Logos gives everything else here. So what is it that we are, we are to grab here? This is really the big picture John has for us. Whereas Matthew wants us to see Jesus as uh, the, um, the uh, promised Messiah of the Jews, Mark wants to see Jesus as the suffering servant. Luke wants us to see Jesus as the Son of Man, God become flesh. John wants us to see Jesus as the Son of God, the divine one who came down. And so what we need to see here is how does the Creator become our Redeemer? That is the story of Jesus. The one whom we rebelled against in creation has come down to rescue us. And that is a central part of John's story in, in, in John. Now, the way he tells this is fascinating. In John's gospel, there are seven miracles, even though he doesn't use the word miracles. He uses the word signs. And these signs point to a, 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 a greater reality. So if you leave here, whether you go left or right, you're going to come across a sign. It may be a speed limit sign. It may be a curve sign. It may be uh, an exit sign, whatever it is. That sign tells you of what lies ahead. The signs are very important. So too what we have here are seven signs of Jesus, seven miracles. And these signs point us to an ultimate reality of who Jesus is. These signs are miraculous. So consider what some of them are. The first miracle of Jesus is in uh, uh, John chapter 2. It is turning water into wine. What Jesus is doing there is more than going to the grocery store and seeing to it that the party can continue at a wedding. 
What he's doing there is he's directing our attention to who he is. He's a true and better festival. He's a true and better life. He's a true and better wine. In him is joy. In him is life. In him is creation. After all, when he, when he fills the lids all the way up with water, he demonstrates that the wine comes by his creative acts. He is, he is a creator. When he feeds the 5,000 by, by, by taking a little boy's lunch, he's creating bread uh, that, that was never made you know, in, in a bakery, but he just makes it. He is feeding fish from fish who never swam in a lake. He is creating because he is logos. So John wants us to see how in Jesus our creator became redeemer. Now, how did our creator become redeemer? In verse 14, the logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Thus, what you have is God's glory has come down to be one of us. God put on flesh. Well, more to say there, of course, from the raising of Lazarus to the calming of the storm, everything else. The second L word we need to see in John's gospel presented to us here is that not only is Jesus Logos, thus the the divine Son of God, He is life. Notice it there in verse 4 and 5. In Him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, we understand in literature, right, that authors like to play with light and darkness, hot and cold, right? Um, there's, there's one of my favorite books, one you've probably never read, um, by someone I graduated with from seminary, actually. Um, he, he, he has uh, the young guy who, who's, who's struggling with his faith. He goes to visit his, his grandfather, who's like a preacher, and, and he is outside in the cold, and it's dark outside, where his, his grandfather is inside in the light, and he's warm by the fire. Now, you read it, and you know exactly what the author is doing there. The one who is farthest away from his faith is the one out in the cold in the darkness. The one who is firmer in his faith is in the warmth and the light, right? We understand this imagery all, all, all the time. John uses this imagery quite a bit, light versus darkness, and the reason is because he presents Jesus as the light. Now, if, if I recommend to you to go through John's gospel and read it slowly, you're going to find how he plays with this. Let me give you just, just a few examples here. Um, I, I, I'm, well, I said life. Let's just do light. Forgive me. Uh, sorry. Verses 9 and 10. Uh, light. The true light which gives light to everyone was come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Um, so Jesus is light. So go back to what I was saying about light and darkness. Throughout John's gospel, he plays with this motif. For example, in John chapter 3, Jesus meets a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. And John tells us that he came to Jesus at nighttime. That's not that important of a detail in terms of the story. But it is in light of what he has revealed of who Jesus is. Because Nicodemus doesn't just come to Jesus in the dark. He is in the dark. Yet he has the eyes to see that even in the darkness, there is light. And if I go to the light, I will find life. And if you follow the story of Nicodemus, by the end of the, 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 the story, at the end of John, Nicodemus comes out of the darkness where he's, 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 a, he's embarrassed to be talking to Jesus. But by the end, he's in the light and he's uh, playing a role in the burial of Jesus. He's a public believer in Christ. 
Other examples that, that we can find here, the next story in John chapter 4 is a woman at the whale. And you know the story, right? She comes, she's got a lot of hard questions for Jesus. What time of day does she come to visit Jesus? Noon. The sun is right there, right? It's the brightest part of the day, essentially. And yet in the narrative we find, though it may be light outside, she is in spiritual darkness. And in her encounter with Jesus in John 4, she comes into the light. Let's think of another example in John's gospel. When Jesus sends the disciples out on the boat, he feeds the 5,000, he goes out and they go out on a boat, Jesus stays behind. And a big storm comes, and all the disciples think they're going to die because of this storm. And then all of a sudden they look up in the darkness, rain and wind and everything, they see something on the water coming towards them. Their initial response was, it's a ghost. He's coming to get us, right? I mean, we'd all be a little creeped out by this. But what is John showing us? Jesus will then say, don't be afraid, it's, it's me. You know who I am. How is it they are able to see Jesus from a distance unless he is the light? Three chapters later in John chapter 9, we meet a man who is born blind. And everyone around the blind man believes that the man is born blind because he sinned or his parents sinned. Yet in the story, the only man who professes faith in Christ is the blind guy. He has incredible faith he demonstrates there. Whereas everyone else in the story thinks they know everything, and yet Jesus shows it's the blind guy who sees. It's the seeing who are really blind. After all, he says in John chapter 9, I am the light of the world. He who comes to me will truly see, and they will never live in darkness again. Finally, when did Jesus die? Darkness at noon. So what's supposed to be the brightest part of the day becomes, the, becomes dark. And the Son of God dies there upon the cross. Tis mystery all, the hymn says, the immortal dies. And he is buried and he is laid in a tomb. He is laid in a room of darkness. And yet at first light on Sunday morning, when Mary and the other women come, they find the tomb empty, the stone rolled away, with light protruding it, because the light of the world has conquered darkness. He has conquered death. And there he encounters, at the light of the day, in the morning, as the sun is rising, Mary discovers the sun has risen. Logos life, I accidentally skipped lamb after I introduced it there in verses 4 and 5. In him was the life and the light of men. Forgive me, he, he, he mixes his metaphors there in verse 4. What do we do with this? John argues in his gospel that Jesus is not only the divine Son of God, not only is he the light of the world, he is the essence and the source of all life. Apart from him is only death. Perhaps the best reference to this is in John chapter 3, verse 16, right? By the way, this is told at nighttime with Nicodemus, who's in the darkness. For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, death, but have life. This back and forth with life shows up all the time. We've already referenced the woman at the whale. She, her story shows up here as well. Jesus encounters her in chapter 4, and he assures her his words are life, John 4, 14. And he says that if you will come to me, you who thirst, you will never be thirsty again. 
Remember the significance of, of, of her coming to Jesus at noontime. It's the hottest part of the day. It's the worst part of the day to go outside and get water. Many of you all know I, I like to run, but I don't run much in the summer because I'm not an early bird. Uh, I don't feel like running in the evening, which means in the summertime, I don't run a whole lot because when it's 8,000 degrees outside, I don't want to go running. Right? My run has really suffered this year. So too, if you have to do the chore of feeding the cattle, getting the water out of the well or whatever it is, you ain't going to do that at 3 o'clock on a uh, Kentucky hot day. You ain't going to do it at noon o'clock on a Kentucky hot day, let alone a Middle Eastern hot day. You're going to do it early in the morning. Yet here she is isolated by her, spirit, by her sin, and yet she encounters Jesus, or really Jesus encounters her, and he says, if you would drink of what it is I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. And of course, she, she's enticed by that. I don't want to have to come back to this. You know, uh, I'd, I'd rather have a faucet where I can get water out of my kitchen sink. He says, you understand that I give you the source of life. Jesus' life. Two chapters later, it isn't water he's talking about. It's bread that he's talking about. People come to Jesus, they're starving to death out in the wilderness. And Jesus feeds the multitude, uh, mimicking the story of the feeding of the, uh, of the Israelites in the wilderness in, in the story of Exodus. And you remember what Jesus says to them. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry again. Thus, John wants us to see that in Christ, whatever it is that we hunger for, whatever it is that we are thirsty for, there is found only satisfaction in Jesus Christ alone. Or consider what he says in John chapter 11. Lazarus is dead, and Jesus knows Lazarus is going to die and does nothing to prevent Lazarus from dying. Jesus shows up for the funeral. He has been dead for four days. That detail is important. Some Jews at the time believed that the soul hovers around the body for three days and the fourth day goes into the afterlife. So here it is, four days later, there is no rational, natural explanation for the Jew to explain how the dead man Lazarus can come back to life. And out in the hot Middle Eastern sun, his body has, has began the process of decomposition and there's a great uh, foul smell. The King James says, but Lord, there's a great stinketh, right? My favorite King James verse right there. Stinketh. Man, that's a word we need to bring back. But you, you remember when uh, one of his sisters comes to him and says, Lord, had you only been here, my brother would have never died. Remember Jesus says, don't you believe? I am the resurrection and the life. He who comes to me will never die. So he orders Lazarus to come forth, orders the unbinding of, of the wraps around him, and Jesus demonstrates once for all he is life. A week later, he will be hanging from a cross. People will be mocking him and abusing him and saying all kinds of things about him, and he will succumb to death. And everyone thinks they have gained a victory over the one who claimed to be life, yet he couldn't save himself. Until three days later, the divine Son of God in human flesh, at first light, took up his life. And because he takes up his life, he gives it to you and I. Jesus is Logos. He is light. He is life. Finally, I want us to see that Jesus is Lamb. We need to go down a little bit. Chapter 1, uh, verse 29 uh, this is John the Baptist's ministry here, but notice what John says in verse 29. Um, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, 
The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away sins. It's an odd imagery to ascribe to someone. There's a story about Kentucky Baptist. I won't tell it the way it was originally. Um, the guy who founded a church in Versailles later went to northern Kentucky. Um, he was introduced by, actually, my ancestor, my direct ancestor, who was a bit of a centric guy. Uh, he would say, Behold, here is John Taylor, uh, who is a donkey of a man. Uh, it's not the word he used, but... Um, and he never explained what he meant by the term donkey of a man, right? He didn't explain that. And so people had their own interpretations. And John Taylor said at the end of his life, he, he thinks, I think I know what he meant. What he meant was that when I preached, I was bringing to you Jesus Christ, you know, on the triumphal entry, right? I mean, calling someone a donkey of a man probably isn't much of a, much of a, perceived as a compliment. Calling someone a lamb of God. What do lambs do uh, in the Jewish system? They die. Their job is to die. And to die a, a brutal death, sacrifice. And John sees in him who is life, the one who will lay down his life. Now this imagery of a lamb shows up throughout uh, John's gospel. Um, uh, that the logos, the divine son of God, will become lamb. Um, the most prevalent of seeing this is Passover. Passover is where the, uh, uh, the, all the sheep would die throughout Israel. By the way, it is thanks to John that we assume on a good basis, Jesus' ministry is about three, three and a half years. Because John mentions three separate Passovers. Maybe a fourth Passover, it's debatable. That's why we say Jesus' ministry was at least three years long. Thanks to John and this reference to Passover. Um, but most significant here is the final Passover, right? We celebrated it this morning with communion. That Jesus takes the bread, he takes the wine, and he says, All of this is fulfilled. This Passover meal is fulfilled in me as I lay my life down for you as a lamb led to slaughter. And the way John tells the story is, is that in his timeline, Jesus is suffering upon the cross simultaneously while all the Passover lambs are being sacrificed in the temple. John makes a big deal of this. He wants you to see that connection. Because while the people are going into a room to go through the ritual of sacrificing lambs, the promised Lamb of God is outside the camp, which we talked about this morning with the, with the two goats. He's outside the camp dying for the sins of the world. This is why, John 3.16, that none should perish, but shall have ever, everlasting life, eternal life. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Put together, we, we, we get a beautiful picture of who Jesus really is. Often we come to Jesus and we want a humanitarian, right? Someone who's just going to help the poor and that's it. We want someone who, who, uh, who has preserved my politics conveniently, that Jesus looks like me rather than I look like him. We want a Jesus who we can put within a little box. We want a Jesus who, who is a good teacher, that we can take or leave everything else. We want a, a philosopher. We want an inspirational figure. But what we're presented with in the Gospels is a better Jesus. He's the divine Son of God who is our Creator, who despite our many sins and failings has become our Savior. Creator turned Redeemer. And He redeems us as an act of creation. He turns us from water into wine. He raises us from the dead like Lazarus. He conquers sin and cleanses us of unrighteousness as we saw this morning. Not only that, He's the light of the world and only through Him can we see. What's the C.S. Lewis say? 
Um, I believe in Jesus Christ like I believe in the Son. Not because I see the Son, but by it I see everything else. He is the light of the world. Not only is He logos and light, but He is the life. I can know no true life and with it come joy and peace and contentment and love apart from the source of those things. The God of life is the one who gives life and his name is Jesus Christ. The one who succumbed to death to conquer death lives forevermore. So to those who come to him by faith shall live forevermore with him and in him. Finally, he is the Lamb of God, the means by which we enter into this life the means by which we come into his light, the means by which our creator becomes our redeemer and we become new people is by the blood of Jesus who died in our place and for our sins and was raised for um, our victory. He is logos, he is life, he is light, he is lamb. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I I do ask... um,